Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. If you're able, please join me in standing for the reading of the God's Word. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out immediately and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This fall I'm going to be uh, a little bit in and out here um, traveling for some, some other work. And so while I'm with you, uh, what I think is just most helpful and most urgent to us at all times is whether you're a believer or whether you're somebody who's looking into belief or whether you're somebody who's dragged here and you don't know what you believe, the most helpful, acute thing for us is to look at Jesus. And so what I'd like to do with you is just to continually bring up moments where Jesus has a one-on-one with somebody or has a conversation with a couple people. And this, for me personally, has always been one of the most impactful, influential passages about understanding who Jesus is and what He's like and what He's come to do. Uh, It's one of the first recorded encounters that Jesus has with anybody that we have in the Gospels. It's one of the first things that Mark gives us. And in one commentary by Bill Lane that I read on this, he asks the question, why does Mark begin this way? with these encounters like this. And he said, because people in and around your story reveal your story. It says at the end of this text that uh, Sean just read for us, that Jesus kept going out to desolate places to meet with desolate people. But that's really at the heart of who Jesus was, and that's the heart of who His story is. Now, this man particularly who He meets, we're told in verse 40, it was a man with leprosy. Now, uh, what was leprosy? Well, a couple things that we know. Uh, a, it was physically tormenting. Uh, Hendrik van der Luce, Swiss scientist, said it was not only uh, so serious, uh, but it is to be feared, and it was believed to have been as difficult to cure as raising the dead. That always, if you had it, it was as much as a stage four death cancer sen- sentence. Uh, It was also spiritually tormenting. Uh, Leviticus 13 is an entire chapter devoted to people who have leprosy, that if you had it, here are the entire instructions of what must come to you and what must be done in order for you to come back into the community of people. But once you have this, you're declared to be unclean. That is, you are not allowed to be in the community of faith with this disease. So the the moment you have this, you're constantly introspective, thinking you're unworthy, to be both uh, with people and before God. Uh, It was also emotionally tormenting. Uh, You had almost little to no human interaction. 
you had almost no conversations with anybody except somebody else who had this disease. And it was socially taxing. Uh, if you were allowed to go places, if you were allowed to go in the temple, they did have like a little area that was dedicated just for the lepers. So if you can imagine a room like this, us having an upper balcony or a room over on the other side of the building that has a tele, uh, like a video of the, of the service. And if you have this, you must go in there and you're never allowed in here. And the disease was so consuming that so often these people are just referred to with the disease, oh, he's a leper, or she's a leper. And everyone actually had reasons for treating people this way. It was physically scary. You didn't want your family to have it. There were instructions from the priest how to follow this. We don't want the community of faith to pollute the temple. And we kind of read this and think, how do people actually do this? Why were people so uh, harsh and judgmental? We would never be that way. Well, um, there was an article a couple years ago in New York Times by a woman, uh, Elizabeth Brunig, who brought up this story about a woman who uh, sent a very unwise, very um, controversial tweet before she gets on an airplane to go to Africa. And when um, she had, I think, less than 100 followers on her Twitter account, and when she landed in Africa, uh, she was the number one trending thing in the world in an account of what she had written. Uh, there were articles already on the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today. Everyone had recorded. They had a video camera waiting on her to get off the plane. Because of what she wrote, she was fired. Her family was humiliated and embarrassed by her. All of her friends betrayed her and wanted nothing to do with her. Because if that's happening to you, I don't want to be known as somebody who's in and with you. And Elizabeth Brunick, she said this, we live in a culture that demands repentance but denies atonement. That you live in a world where all of us are one moment away from doing something that absolutely would leave you in ostracization the rest of your life. Look, everybody here has something that they've done and has gone to incredible lengths to hide or has something that's coming in your life that if people find out, you're going to be utterly alone. And you know what? The fascinating thing about Christianity is that if you have something like this, you're terrified to bring it up because you think it will bring separation between you and God. But the funny thing is, is you hiding that is actually the thing that's keeping you from meeting Jesus. Because what, here's the lesson this morning. The kind of people who meet Jesus are outsiders. The people who have had their leprosy-like moment exposed, seen, dealt with by other people in a point where they have nowhere else to go but Him. And here's what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning. What do you think it would be like to meet Him if you actually could no longer hide that? If you actually had to wear that on your sleeve, if you actually had to have everybody know that thing about you, what would it be like if you met him? Here's what it would be like. One, you'd meet his empathy. Two, you would meet his heart. And three, you would meet his power. Like here's what an encounter with Jesus is. In the worst experience of your life, you'll meet his empathy, his heart, and his power. First, 
his empathy. Uh, philosopher, atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell used to say that uh, the only thing, only reason people go to God, the only reason people run to religion is because of fear. That if we make them afraid, if we scare them, uh, that will create their need for religion, and so it's just a manipulative tactic. But uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a uh, Danish Christian philosopher, came along and wrote a book called The Sickness Unto Death, and he said, that's not true at all. He says, because fe fear does not make you run to God. If you're afraid, it makes you run from God. And it makes you terrified that if God ever came to you, you would be dead, and you would have no options whatsoever. That fear makes you run from and run away from God. And you have a fascinating moment in verse 40 where this man, who's a leper who's been isolated, thrown out of every community he's ever been in, says it comes to him on his knees and imploring him. Uh, another translation for imploring him says uh, he beseeched him. Maybe a best way to translate that is he just was there on his knees begging him. He's sort of looking at Jesus and saying, I'm, I'm out of options. Jean-Paul Sartre once said that life begins on the other side of despair. This man is sitting here before Jesus wondering if that's true. And when he does this to Jesus, the, fir the first thing Jesus does is not give him a Bible verse, is not even do a, do a miracle. The first thing Jesus does when this man on his knees in desperation begging at him, it says he was moved with pity. This man comes in the most desperate moment of his life, and the first thing Jesus does is just ache. Another translation says it was filled with compassion. The Greek word there means to be viscerally moved. It means he was physically affected by what he saw in this man. That is, Jesus saw him, and he was empathetic. Now, what, what do I mean by empathetic? Uh, Brene Brown, a great speaker, she says, sympathy is when somebody has something going on in their life, and you look at them and you say, I'm really sorry that that's, that's happening to you. But empathy is looking at somebody and saying, I'm going to come down there with you in that. And we're going to experience this together. And my, how, di how different that is from us. You know, I had a friend um, who lives in Orange County, does ministry, and he told me one time he was having a cookout with some college students. And he said uh, they were hanging out, and he was outside uh, grilling hot dogs and burgers, and they were in his house. And at one point, they kind of see him out there, and they're like waving at him. And he's just kind of, they said, they said he was just staring at them. And at one point, they, they were like kind of waving with two hands, and he just kind of kept staring. And, uh, and they were waving him, him inside, and then they noticed that he wasn't doing anything, and so they were making faces. And he's just sort of staring, and they're like, why is he not reacting to us? And he found out later, it's because he was staring at his own reflection. And he said, you know, I, he's like, I couldn't see them. I couldn't see what they were waving at. I couldn't see what they wanted. And why? Because I was staring at me. Look, when, when somebody comes to you with something that's almost impossible to deal with, what do you do? Almost your first reaction is to get uncomfortable, to get scared, to kind of move away from them. And, and, and the reason is because the moment somebody comes with a painful situation, 
the first thing we think about is me. One of the most helpful things to, to move, this is sort of a quick aside, to move us out of that. Um, I, I, I know some of you rag on me for movies all the time. But uh, Roger Ebert, when he had his uh, Hol- uh, Hollywood star Walk of Fame introduction speech, here's what he said. He said, movies are the most powerful empathy machine in all the arts. When I go to a great movie, I can live in somebody else's life for a while. I can walk in somebody else's shoes. I can see what it feels like to be a member of a different gender, a different race, a different economic class, to live in a different time, to have a different kind of belief. Those things are not natural to you. When somebody different from us, somebody in a different situation, in a different pain, in a different problem from us, almost our first reaction is something that says, I have no way to ever cross that bridge from you. But with Jesus, he looks at this man and he recognizes his pain. He says, there's a story there. There's probably years of pain and loneliness and isolation there. He doesn't think, this could get me out of the community. This could get me crucified right away. This could lose all of my followers. This could, this could lose all of my influence. This could ruin my ministry. This could get me sick. He doesn't judge him and call him unclean, which he is. It would have been completely biblical. It would have been completely okay for Jesus to call him that. But he knows what that will do, which is move this man away from him. But the man has this, what had to have been a terrifying question, and says, will you heal me? And almost in an an affirming way, Jesus gives him the same language, I will. But the first thing that Jesus does to this man in near, in already a social death, in almost a physical death, is to ache with him and to feel for him. B.B. Warfield the great Princeton theologian uh, just has a collection of essays called The Person and Work of Christ, and in it he says, the most attributed emotion to Jesus in all of the Scriptures continually is His compassion. How do you think God feels about your addictions? How do you think God feels about your cyclical behavior That is like the same fight that keeps happening in your marriage, the same shame cycle that keeps coming up with you and your children, the same problems you keep struggling with every night or every morning or every midday between noon and 2 p.m. How do you think God feels about that? Do you think that He's up there pounding His fists going, how much more are you going to continue to do this? How many times have I told you, get it together? Because what this text says is that thing that you keep, that you know that we don't know, the first thing that God does is look in your life and ache and to have pity on that. Secondly, though, here's what we see from Jesus when he meets this man it's his heart. The man says, Are you willing? And he says, I am willing. Now, what does he mean by he's willing? 
Well, He heals him. And then there's this peculiar part that almost none of us know what to do with in verse 33 and verse 44, when He says, okay, this thing I've done for you, don't go tell anybody. Go straight to the priests and make a sacrifice just like Moses told you to do. Now, why is Jesus telling him to do this? Well, A, he's protecting him. Because, look, the priests were also sort of the the medical physicians and the medical gates to get back into the community of faith in the temple. That is, when you had leprosy or something like that, you lived this whole comprehensive life that was out there, not with us, not socializing with us, not experiencing these things with us, not a part of the intimacy. And there was one way back in, and it was to go meet with the priests and let them examine you and determine if you were truly clean from leprosy. And so what Jesus knows is that these priests are already suspicious of Him, and they hate Him. And so if the man goes around and tells everybody what Jesus did for him, here's what it's going to do. It's going to threaten this man's possibility of getting back in the community of faith. Because these priests are going to say, that's actually not a cleansing. He's not totally well. He could be demon-possessed. We don't know truly what this man Jesus is yet. And Jesus is so concerned with him. He's not telling him, look, don't go evangelize. He's not preventing this man from actually wanting people to other experience him as well. He's saying, I am so meticulously concerned with you. I, I, I don't want you to be, to be just physically restored. I want you to be holistically restored and every part of your life put back into the faith. But he's also, when he tells this man to go to the priests and make the sacrifice, here's what he's also doing. He's subverting the priestly regul- regulations. And he's teaching this leper, he's saying, look, I, I'm not just a healer, I'm a priest. And you go to those priests And you begin to demonstrate who the real true priest is. Look, they won't listen to you. They won't hear what you're going through because of the threat of both their own personal lives and the threat of what they're doing in the temple. But he's saying, I'll hear you. I'll listen to you. I'll sympathize with you. And in order to be with me, those things with sacrifices, your struggles, I'll take care of that. I'll deal with that. Everything that you need to be back in, I'm taking care of everything. The author of the book of Hebrews describes him this way. He says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is telling this man, I want you to know the heart of who I am, which is a priest who will go before you and do whatever it takes to bring you back in. John Owen, the great uh, British uh, minister, has an essay on Christ's priestly heart, and he says, here's what Christ does for this man that he does for you. One, he's concerned for his needs. Do you, do you know, look, Jesus is not just concerned with your sin. 
in dealing with your sin. He is concerned about your hurts, about your loneliness, about what you hunger for, about what you cry over. He is concerned when you feel lost, when you feel in trouble, when you feel alone, when you feel directionless, when you feel dark, when you feel depressed, when you feel like you've hit a wall. He is deeply concerned for all of those needs. He's not just somebody who listens to your guilt. He listens to your aches and your pains. But Owen says he also goes to great lengths to demonstrate to us that there's nothing that you feel that He has not felt. So there's nothing you can ever share with Jesus that His heart will not say, me too. Walk with me through this. Have you ever felt like no one ever understands you? Like the thing that you're talking about, the thing that you've experienced, you've shared it And somebody just cuts you off and tries to explain it away, and you're like, they don't understand. Jesus, for years, looked at His disciples and says, I'm going to die on a cross and then rise again. And they kept saying, so when are we overthrowing Rome? Like, when is this empire going to get installed? They, They never understood Him. Have you ever felt like nobody cared? Like people say, I'm so sorry. But what you're going through, you're all alone. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, staring at the cup of wrath to the point of sweating blood. And he looks at his best friends, and they're asleep, taking a nap. Like just utterly, utterly dismissive of Him. Have you ever felt unfairly accused? Like somebody said something about you that you did not do. Like even in your integrity, you're like, I I don't think I'm, I'm guilty of this. Yet people are gossiping about you, people are talking behind your back, people are throwing that out, and you're going, I, ha- I can't, if I try to untangle this web, it's just going to get wider and wider and wider. And Jesus, He was taken before Pilate and accused of all of these things and said, do you want to confess these things you've done? What, what do you think He was feeling in those moments? knowing he had committed no sin, done nothing wrong. Have you ever felt just mentally tortured? Like you're going through something and and you can't even make sense of it. It, it It just hurts. Maybe even like it feels like a voice is telling you something that you don't want to be true. It can't be true. For 40 days... He sat out there in the desert and heard temptation after temptation after temptation with just him and the devil. Look, Owen says, everything you go through, everything you could feel, so too with Jesus. And that means when you bring it to him and you go, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. 
Look, he alone can go, I understand. But Owen says he also wants to do something about it. The thing that you're going through, he wants to bring relief. He wants to bring reprieve. He wants to bring provision. He wants to bring salvation. Jesus is trying to communicate to you and this man, I want you to think about me as somebody that when you're going through that, you bring that to me. I, I know what it's like to be a pastor. And if you go through something and it's sad, you'll call, but if it's dark, you never will. Because almost all of you look at me as somebody, if you go through that, I can't tell him. What will he say? Jesus is saying, but you can tell me. That I will do whatever it takes to identify with you. There was a, uh, a colony in rural Hawaii in the 19th century where people with leprosy were sent. And it was on a, uh, forgive me, I can't remember which island it was, but it was on a rural part of one of the, uh, the smaller islands that they sent people who just had, had leprosy and they sent them there to die. One man, uh, Father Damien, got, a, got wind of it and decided to go move there. What he did is he just decided to live amongst these people and care for them and walk them to their death. He built houses for them. He tried to pastor them. He built 2,000 coffins for these people so that they could die with some dignity. But the most significant part of his ministry is one day he was preaching a sermon to them, and he looked out among them and said, we lepers. And at that point, they began to realize he's not just talking to us. He has taken on and received this disease that we all have. Look, Jesus is the kind of priest who looks at what you're going through and doesn't just say, that sounds hard. He says, I will become that for you and enter into that for you so that when you go through that, you know that there's full provision for it. Look, that's His empathy, that's His heart. But thirdly, not just for it to be inspirational, you have to see His power. Buddhist scholar Joan Halifax, she said, the essential component of compassion is that we cannot be attached to the outcome. Any attachment to the outcome would distort my ability to be attached to present situations. Hear what she's saying? She's saying, if I think about the idea that I can't do anything, it will actually prevent me from being compassionate and entering into somebody's situation. However, Almost all of us, what do, we, what do we say when somebody's going through something impossible? We say, well, I, you know, what can I do about it? So we don't do anything about it. But here's what happens. The man says, will you help me? And Jesus says, I will. And he just touches him. And it doesn't say like his cough began to die down. It doesn't say a scab went away. It says, Mark says this, immediately. Immediately he was clean. 
that Jesus isn't just willing to do it, He's able. Now, what do we do real quick about these moments in the gospel with Jesus' healing? That's another sermon, but, but 30 seconds this. A, all of Jesus' miracles, here's what they're designed to do. They're designed to remove the curses that came in this world through Adam's sin. They're never these magical things, hey, let me, let me show you, I'm going to shoot this star down and watch it crumble to the seas and show you how powerful I find. He doesn't do anything like that. Everything he does is to remove the curse of this world. But secondly, Herman Ritterboss in his work on the Gospels, he says this, look, these miraculous moments for Jesus are not to be patterns of ministry for us in the present church, but previews of the world to come when He returns. And if, if you don't know that, then these stories can set you up for some real failure. There's a story I, I saw recently by, it's a man named Dave uh, Warnock. He's got a, a website called Dying Out Loud, and his, his story broke my heart because Dave was a charismatic pastor who um, did a ministry for many years aiming for miracles and healings and these kind of things and lost his, what he says, lost his faith in 2012 because he said, we kept hoping and praying for these things and never saw any of them happen. And so his conclusion is that God is not real. And he's, he's contracted ALS, is dying, and is, 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 if you watch his video, he's just bathing in cynicism and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. If you think these moments for Jesus are moments for us to be imitated today, be forewarned it can take you down that road. But what Jesus does here, he just touches this man and it's gone. But what it's meant to say is that if he touches this man and it healed him, what kind of hope can we have when he returns and breathes life into everything and looks at not just the physical infirmities but our emotional ones, our spiritual ones that we can do nothing about? Revelation 21.4, it says when He returns, here's what it will do. He will breathe life in such a way, it will, it will wipe away every tear. It will, it will make all the sadness come untrue. It will do everything that we long for in this world to remove all of the heartache, all of the sadness. And, and you know how this power can come? Jesus is going to unleash all kinds of healing resurrection power. And here, here's how it comes, because Jesus is willing to touch him. Nobody would touch a leper. Why? Because it would make them sick. It would declare them unclean. It would cast them out. You know, Jesus, anybody, anybody with anything going on in them, Jesus is more willing to heal than you're willing to receive it. I heard a story about a man um, who on Christmas Day a couple years ago bought six plane tickets. And the reason he bought six plane tickets is because his daughter was a flight attendant. And he wanted to spend Christmas Day just following her around. 
just going from plane to plane with her, just to be with her. Do you know how willing Jesus is to be with you? He's willing to touch you in all of your sickness, in all of your sin, in all of your damnation, in all of everything that this world will cancel you for, walk out of you for, leave you alone, and be unable to heal you in. Jesus says, give it to me, and I'll take it on. And you know, one day he says, I will do everything about it. And that's who he is. If, if, you've, never, if you've never experienced that, come to him. And you take him. Let me pray. Jesus, we need that. We need the one who just hears, who just aches and who just loves. Lord, there, there, there is so much, there is so much leprosy in our world. We, we can't do anything about it, but we look to you to one day ultimately reverse that curse, and until then, help us to see and embody the empathetic priest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.